the season of preparation, the season of, of, of reminding ourselves and, and cleaning ourselves and repenting, all that stuff, right? The things where we recognize our sin, we do away with it because we recognize Jesus is coming, all these beautiful pieces, right? And so this morning I want to talk about, I want to talk about the nature of who Jesus is for us and his undeniable love that radically alters and changes our life. And it's going to begin by saying this. I look at the, at the human beings and I look at how we're made. And one of the most fascinating things to me is the memory. Like, have you ever sat down and thought about your memory? Your memory is made up of, of three different pieces. You have your, your, your sense memory, your sensory, your sensory memory, which is basically, um, which is basically this, this muscle memory piece, right? It's that, it's that part of us that allows us to talk on the phone, change the channel, and correct our children all at the same time, right? Because it's just it's naturally in us, right? It's like, I can, like, do anything. I can just, like, press numbers on me. We're so gifted at this remote control, man. I can do it behind my back, between my legs, with my eyes closed, right? It's just this muscle memory. We've got it in us. So the sensory memory is that part of us, like muscle memory, that allows us to do more than one thing at a time. And then we have our short-term memory, right? Some of us have a better one of those than others, I'm just saying, right? But your short-term memory, they say, they, the proverbial they, they say that, that, but that basically in our minds we're able to hold seven things at a time in our, in our short-term memory. So like names, right? You go to a dinner party, and when you get to the eighth person, number one has been they've left your memory, right? And so seven things, eight things, you're like, oh my gosh, I totally forgot our phone numbers, right? It's like, and, and I think for me, honestly, it's two things. So the third thing comes in and the first two leave, right? Randall sits there all the time starts talking to me about numbers. I'm like, can you repeat that? She's like, oh my gosh, for the 50th time, yes, right? There's this whole, I just totally have a terrible short-term memory. And the other part of it, our memory, and this is the one that fascinates me the most, is a long-term memory, right? The long-term memory is like you're able to, to have this, these, these thoughts and ideas about things that happened when you were like eight. And that's a long time ago for some of you. I'm just saying. I'm not going to name names. Ed Payne, right? I'm not going to name names. It's a long time ago. We have these things that we can recall, these memories from our, and, and we have so many great memories, right? You think about Christmases, and you think about vacations, and you think about your first date, right? Oh, right? Think about your marriage. Think about the birth of your kids. My kids, listen, their favorite thing to do with me is to sit down. I've probably told you before, they want to sit down and hear stories, but not just stories. They want to hear funny and interesting stories about them, right? They love to hear stories about themselves, right? So I get to sit there, they, they, they tell us a story. We're here story about how mom and I met. No, no, tell the story about us. All right, right? And the funny thing about it is, to be honest, I don't have the best memory, so I just retell the same stories over and over again. And I'm not going to lie, like, I, I, I probably, I probably, like, add some pieces to it to make it more interesting. It's okay, right? It's what dads do, right? Make things interesting. And so, I have this whole dynamic going down telling stories. They love hearing stories. In fact, my dad, even this past week, I, I, I went up and saw him for about an hour, and and. He was just, he just kind of stopped, and he had that reminiscing moment. You know that moment where you go, mm, right? That kind of moment where you kind of sit back, put your head up, and he goes, we had good times, didn't we, when you were growing up? And I'm like, yeah, we had a, we had a great time. Yeah, we had some, he starts to, we start, and we start telling some of the same stories that we've told a hundred times, right? It's like my dad and I, like, we'll get in the bass boat and, and go fishing. And, 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 and if we're and, and usually we don't tell stories because we're catching so many because it's such so active and stuff. No, no, we're sitting there. Yeah, exactly. Right. No, we're sitting there fishing and, and we just start telling stories about when we used to catch them. Right. You remember that time that I kicked your butt fishing? It's like, oh, that's not how I remember. Like the whole dynamic going. And we and we've told the same stories a thousand times. Right. In fact, you even retell them on a different day when you're fishing. It was more than a one day trip. Right. And you have this whole dynamic going down because we love the story. We tell, we tell, we have this and these memories. In fact, this, this, the, the, the tradition of the people of God, the Israelites, the Jews, is that for thousands of years, none of their stories were written down. In fact, when you would take your Bible and go to the very first, like, hundred pages, like, do you know that those were just oral stories 
for a long, 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 long time. And finally, somewhere along the way, they wrote them down. Because why? Well, they finally had paper and pen, right? They didn't have it for a long time. And so for years, the patriarch, the dad, the grandpa would get around the fire every night just about and say, Grandpa, Grandpa, tell us stories. What story do you want to tell? You want to hear about Abraham? Do you want to hear about, here's all about Moses and the Exodus? The Passover? What do you want to hear? What do you want to hear? About Elijah? And they would sit there and say, Daddy, Daddy, Grandpa, Grandpa, tell us the story of Noah. And for generations, they would pull from their memory the stories of their ancestors that defined who they were at that moment. You see, memories are, are powerful. They tell us who they are. They remind us of where we've come from. They are things we celebrate. They're things that are exciting, right? We tell these beautiful, beautiful, beautiful stories. But if we're honest, we'd also say that memories can also be very painful, can't they? Like, each of us, we have these memories, and it's, I don't know what it is, it's like 90% of them happened in junior high of bad things happening to us. I don't know what it's about junior high, I'm sorry kids, right? But it's like this whole thing going down, and these things that your friends said, your peers said, your, your family said, and these things that no matter how hard you try, they stick with you, and they've defined your identity. They've de- defined your self-image and how you view yourself, or somewhere along life there's this like there's a thousand things that were said to you by your dad but it's the one thing that he said that has wrecked you for your entire life it's the memory that just keeps on giving and you wish it wouldn't we live in the power of memory it's good and it reminds us of great things it also remains it reminds us of overwhelming, difficult, and painful moments. And I would say this, and I want you to hear this. The thing also that memory does, it doesn't just remind us of the sins committed against us. It also continually reminds us of the sins we've committed against others. Like you know those moments that you're sitting next to your spouse and you've never told them because you you just can't? Those things that, that you hold on to, the deepest core of who you are, that when you get alone, you fight with everything in you. Because when you think about it, it makes you queasy. That you go, oh, God, if I could just go back. It's the things, if you're honest with yourself, even though it's really, you know, you shouldn't because of God's love for you, find yourself despising even yourself because of how you hurt that person, of what you did, that when person a person looks back to junior high, you're their face that they think about, and it's your words that they remember. Parents who are much older, I mean, they will all say that so their kids come to them somewhere along the way and say, you know you offended me here. I told you the story, my, uh, uh, a friend of mine named Burl Dinkins, he had several kids. He was a missionary in Brazil. And when every single one of his kids turned 15, he looked at each of them. There were three of them. He looked at, each, all, at all three of them and said, hey, these are, I'm just using his words. I know I've screwed you up because I'm imperfect. So I want to give this as your one option right now, the one option for me to pay for all of your counseling. He said, of my three kids, two took me up. <laughs> right? So, oh, Dad, yeah. You messed me up, right? We have these memories, these things that cripple us, that shape our identity, these things that we live in shame from, these things, right? The sin committed to us that's defined us, the sins that we've committed that have defined us, and we live in this moment where, yes, memory is great sometimes, but other times, Our memory just beats us up. It overwhelms us. It causes us to feel a little bit nauseous. And just this tension 
inside of ourselves because of who we've hurt, what we've done, what we've said, whatever it may be. Which leads me to the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, which, starting in verse 13, I encourage you to read the whole chapter this week. But Paul comes along and, and he says this, If we are out of our mind, as some say, it's for God. And if we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us. 2 Corinthians 5, 13-15, sorry. 2 Corinthians 5, 13-15. Read it again. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all. And therefore, all of us died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Now, putting in context of what's going on here in Paul's life, Paul, he has the church at Corinth, right? It's here in Greece. He's planted it. It's a Greek, it's a, it's a Greek Gentile church, and he's planted it. God's done great things. The Spirit of God is moving in power, and miracles are happening. Read 1 Corinthians. But they're in sin. They're really, really, really immature. And so they have this tension back and forth, these letter writings going back and forth. And in one of the writings, there's, they're questioning if he's really a good spiritual dad. They're questioning his apostleship. Are you really a good spiritual dad? Are you really a good man? Are you really a, a leader in the church? Are you really, we're, we're hearing all these things from whom? There's this group called the Judaizers. And all that means is they are, they are Jewish Christians who are coming to Gentiles, non-Jews, and say, hey, it's great you're following Jesus, but you have to be circumcised, you have to follow the, law, the letter of the law, you have to do this, 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 and this. And they're confused, and so they're writing this letter back and forth, and they say this, well, um, Paul, who's an apostle, told us this. And they said, are you kidding? Do you know who Paul is? Paul's a lunatic. That's what it means when it says here, if we are out of our mind, it literally means people are saying he is an idiot. He is he is insane. He is a lunatic. He's crazy. How could you ever listen to a word that comes out of the mouth of Paul? And his own children, spiritual children, are questioning him. So get the picture. This is not a banner moment for Paul. He's not going, this is so awesome. No, he's not doing that, is he? He's living in the moment going, in his, in his flesh, probably going, oh, who crept in and confused them? And so he begins to speak and he says, okay, if you think that I'm a lunatic, as some may say, I'm just doing it in obedience to God. And if you think that I'm doing something that's actually okay and, and I'm in my right mind, then I'm just doing it because I love you. That's what he's getting at. Everything I'm doing is because of God and obedience and because of my love for you. And he comes in this moment where which would be difficult. I mean, imagine if everybody that you know all of a sudden was saying that you were crazy and a lunatic and out of your mind for what you believed, right? There's this dynamic moment happening here. And Paul says in verse 14, he says, well, Christ's love compels us. Christ's love compels me. Christ's love is overwhelming because I'm convinced that one died. Now get the picture. He didn't say, I'm convinced, as in like this really selfish, as if in his own world... He's saying, well, I'm right, you're wrong. And he's saying, there's this, this group of people that he is in relationship with, these other apostles, Timothy being one of them, Barnabas and Silas and all these guys that he's in relationship with, right? They're going together, they're hearing the Lord, they're proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And they're in this moment and saying, Christ's love compels us. And all of a sudden, we find in the moment Paul lives in the awareness of Jesus' love, buoying him, encouraging him, 
undergirding him and leading him in spite of whatever anyone else says over here. Christ's love compels him. But I want you to recognize, and this is the important thing, have you ever thought about what fills the memory bank short-term, sensory term, and long-term for Paul? Have you ever thought about what, what fills his memory bank? Like, you know, he tells us in Scripture, he says, As for me, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. To the letter of the law, I obeyed every bit of it, right? I was zealous for the things of God. I led the persecution of Christians in the whole province, and I'm the one ultimately responsible for the death of now my brother Stephen, the first Christian martyr. Do you see what's filling his memory bank? Do you see what's wrestling? Listen, Scripture is silent on what else happened, but there's probably a good chance that he was responsible for other deaths. I'm just saying. He was definitely responsible, probably himself, going in, taking a woman by her hair and her children and ripping them out in the name of God and putting them in prison. This is flooding the memory bank of Paul. He's living in it. He's living in the long-term memories of what's been done to him, but most importantly, these damning things that are being said by his own mind of what he has done. You know, I've met with different, uh, different soldiers who, who have traveled the world and have been on the front lines, and they've killed in the name of God and country. And you sit down and talk with them, and, and as hardened as they are, and, as, and as, good as, at what they do, as good as they are at what they do, there's always a face to the people that they have killed. I sat down a couple of years ago with a guy. He said, I said, how do you handle that? He said, not well. He had done three tours. He had done other stuff I won't go into. And he said, in fact, just this past week, I was responsible for an, an, an Iraqi informant's death. And I knew he was going to die when I left him within 12 hours. I said, how do, you, how do you and Jesus handle that? He goes, I struggle. That's why I'm sitting with the pastor. <laughs> you see, the blood of... For most of us, there's not, there's not blood on our hands. So for some of us, maybe there are. For Paul, there is. And there's something overwhelming. There's something overpowering in that. You have to put yourself in the shoes where he's like, he recognizes in his memory. But he says, Christ's love compels me. Christ's love compels compels me. See, something in the life of Paul had shifted his memory. Something in the idea of what Jesus had done, the work of God in his life, something had overcome Paul in such a way, he says, yes, all these people say things, my memory bank is full of things over here, but let me tell you what compels me, what propels me. Let me tell you what ultimately is the undergirding nature of everything in my life. I'm compelled by the love of Christ, but you have to recognize what it goes on to say for Christ, verse 14, for Christ's love compels us. What's his love? It's simple. One died for all. You see, somewhere along the, the way for the life of Paul, all of a sudden the cross became so alive to him that it literally compelled him, it propelled him, it undergirded him. It became the primary focus of everything in his life, every moment of every day. Because the idea of a memory is that it continually comes again and again and again and again. And he's saying, I am compelled. Everything inside of me is based on the cross of Jesus. What's the cross of Jesus? We've named the last two weeks. The two words, the two R words, redemption and reconciliation. Redemption, we said, well, what is redemption? It's the purchasing from slavery and granted your freedom. 
And so Paul is a slave to his memories. He's a slave to the atrocities that he's experienced in his own hands and the things that he's done. He, he has experienced pain and suffering and all of these things, right? And all of these things, he's been a slave. But he says, but Christ came in the midst of my chains on me and he saw me. He bought me. He set me free and he broke chains off me and I stand redeemed today because of his work in my life. And he says, on top of that, I've been reconciled. Reconciliation. Those who were living opposed to one another, being brought into harmonious friendship with one another. Remember, he's sitting here. Listen, not only did he do this, but he also has the eternal voice of Jesus. What did Jesus say? Remember? On the road to Damascus, Saul, Saul, why do you kill my children, in essence, killing me? Why do you persecute me? Why do you beat me? Why do you do what you're doing to me? And he goes, Lord, he has the awakening moment. Not only is the experience, but it's also the voice. He literally has the voice of God in his mind saying, you are killing me and my children. I don't know about you, but that's heavy. And Paul comes in the moment and says, but I'm compelled. Why? Because I live in the truth and the power of the redemption and reconciliation of Jesus in the cross. And it compels me. I mean, compels is a powerful word. I think you, we most, in, most of us instinctively understand what compels mean, compel means, but it's defined, listen, in a way you've never heard it, it's defined as a pressure that confines and restricts. I'll say that again. Compels means a pressure that confines and it restricts, meaning Christ's love pressures him in a confining and a restricting way. And you're the, those who are claustrophobic are going, man, I don't, I'm not sure I want that, right? Let's kind of put it, let's kind of put it in terms you understand. How many of you ever had like one of those moments? One of those days where everything goes wrong, you're depressed, you're in weeping, inside of you feel like it's going to explode, right? And all of a sudden, just whoever it is in your life, they see it, they know it, they walk over, they wrap, them, wrap their arms around you. They constrain you and they restrict you in the power of a warm, overwhelming, powerful embrace of a hug. They restrain you. They constrain and constrict you. And you feel free. There is nothing cooler as a dad than doing that. Nothing. There is nothing more powerful as a parent than your kids overwhelmed and come to you and they just latch on and you hug and you hug. And the only thing you can think of is Jesus kind of squeeze the crap out of them that life brings them. I mean, seriously. God, if I can just squeeze long enough where all the pain and all the hurt and all the suffering, God, can I constrain and constrict and bring the weight of your presence through my hug that sets them free? And Jesus says, oh, I get it. That's what I do through the cross. And it compelled Paul and son, it can compel you. Paul was compelled he was compelled. Peace reigned in his heart because of his memory. What did he remember? Everything. How many of you know your memories never go away? They will always be present. But Christ's cross, redemption, reconciliation, and the squeezing of his love squeezed out the poison of that, and he covered it. And he says now, 
remember. Remember. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, remember? He said, guys, I'm extremely excited about the Passover. I'm going to celebrate this meal we've celebrated before. This is nothing new. He said, I'm going to change everything. And he comes into it, and Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, 26, he says, For I received from the Lord what I passed to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Create a memory and relive the memory. Do this in remembrance of me. He goes on and says, In the same way for supper he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. Do you see what Christ is desiring to do? What Jesus is desiring to do? He's saying, I know your memories, but I want to create a new memory. In fact, I want you to create a memory that you don't just celebrate once a month at church. In the Greco-Roman period in which the Lord's Supper began being implemented, the early Christians, every, they would gather at every evening meal. Every evening meal. Every evening meal, whether it was with everybody or just with the family or just themselves, they would gather at every evening meal and it became, listen, the meal of remembrance. It became the meal of memory. It became the time where they would tell the story. And what story did they tell? They told the story of Jesus. They told the story of his blood being poured out. They told the story of his body being broken. At every meal, they would sit down. And the patriarch, the matriarch, I don't know who it would be in the family, they would sit down and say, let's tell the story of Jesus. Let's retell the memory. Why? Because Paul says, I have these memories, but I'm compelled every day because of the memory of my redemption, my reconciliation, because of the cross that was by him for all. And I am undone. I am undone. I am undone that God loved me enough to send his son. Jesus loved me enough and considered it pure joy to suffer all of this for us. I'm undone and I'm compelled. I think about it and I feel restricted and constrained and I've never felt so free in my life. What memory binds you? What memory steals from you? What did you do that you feel queasy about and that you, like, ah, defines my image and my identity and all these pieces? What was done to you? What are the things, what are the memories that are still defining you? What did he say? What did he do? What did she say? What did she do? Where are you in this? And Jesus says, oh, my love is for you. It's so good. It's so big. Can it please come and just squeeze it all out? Will you allow my love, my, the truth of my cross, the reality of who I am, to come and go, oh, I've never felt so free. Why do you think we celebrate Easter? Why do you think he implemented it? Easter is a remembrance of an everyday reality. That we live free, or we talked about, from the law of sin, the power of sin and death. My question for you is how dissatisfied are you? Like how angry do you get about the lies that you live in? Because Jesus is very angry 
about sin. Read the end of times. Just read Revelation. Read Matthew, how he destroys everything. What does he destroy? Sin and death. Crushes it. He is angry. Not at you, but he's angry when sin and memories bind us. And he says, I want to raise this dissatisfaction. I want to raise a hunger inside of you. This morning, there's no, there's no simple one, two, three step system to be awakened to this compulsion. I can't say, hey, read Psalm 7, 77 times, seven days a week for seven hours and say, you're done. Just do that. I mean, you're saved. You're set free. All right. Perfect number. Yeah. No, I'm telling you, it boils down to acknowledging so I would say this this morning. This is what we're going to do. We're going to take communion, and then you're going to be with Jesus. Number one, it requires us to be honest about what those issues are. Number two, it requires us naming them before God and possibly even going and asking forgiveness from someone of how we sinned against them. Number three, it's saying, Jesus, I can't get this off of my life myself because I've tried. Help me. Help me. I don't want to hate my husband any longer. I don't want to hate my children any longer. I don't want to turn the other way when I see that person any longer. Jesus, it's for freedom you set us free. The flip side to that is we have to do that for ourselves. And I would say the other part of it is, and and Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, Now, Before you come take communion, you have to deal with your issues, your unforgiveness, your bitterness. And he says, hear this, describe it for yourself. If you come holding those things, it's actually what causes your physical body to get sick and some of you die. Just read 1 Corinthians 11. It's pretty clear. And what he's getting at, he's saying, when you allow unforgiveness and bitterness, and anger to stay. It causes a spiritual death which will always bring about an emotional death which always affects us physically. And he's saying, and do not come to the altar until you've dealt with your stuff. And when you do, and you release forgiveness, you have to give what you've received. And as we do that, there's this memory and compulsion. We are compelled. We are restrained. We are constrained. We're restricted and we're propelled to know his love and to be changed by it. This morning, I invite our ministry teams. They're going to come and they're going to offer communion to us this morning as ministry. Our baskets will be here. So we're going to come this morning for offering. You're more than welcome to do that. And I invite you to do that as we continue on. Our worship team is going to worship. But I want to invite you this morning to come and to take communion, celebrate the the Lord's Supper together. I'm just simply asking, just go deal with your sin before you come. You know what I mean? Like, like you ask forgiveness, ask forgiveness. You need to apologize, apologize. You need to go before the Lord, go before the Lord. Make sure your heart is clean. Make sure your heart is pure before Him. Secondly, Jesus died so his love could compel you. That's what he envisions for each of us. And some of us have found ourselves because of life and because of whatever, not knowing his nearness. I would encourage you this morning, fight for his presence. Fight to be with him. Be be so so, so dissatisfied that you can't help but be with him because you want him. Now, allow the Lord this work, to do this work this morning. And we have ministry here on each side. If you want to get communion, just pray. You can do that. You can come to the altar. Ask the Lord to do this work. If you need someone to pray for you, grab them. But let's let God shift our hearts this morning. We respond as the Lord leads.
And I'll never know how much it cost to see my sin upon that cross. I'll never know how much it cost to see my sin upon. To see my sin upon that cross, I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross. So here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful to me. Oh, here I am to Taking my shape 
And in its place, you give me joy. You give me joy. You take my morning and turn it into dancing. You take my weeping and turn it into laughing. You take my morning and turn it into dancing. You take my sadness, turn it into joy. Oh, you turn it into joy. You turn it. Taking my pain, and you call me by a new name. Oh, you've taken my shame, and in its place, you give me joy. Oh, you've taken my pain, taking my pain. And you call me by a new name. You take in my shame, and in its place, you give me joy. Oh, you take, you take my morning and turn it into dancing. You take my weeping and turn it into laughing. You take my morning and turn it into dancing. You take my sadness and turn it into joy. You take, you take my morning and turn it into dancing. You take my weeping. And turn it into laughing. You take my morning and turn it into dancing. You take my sadness and turn it into joy. Bring restoration. You bring restoration. Oh, you bring restoration. Oh, it comes to my soul. You bring restoration. You bring restoration. You bring restoration. Oh, it comes. You bring restoration to my soul. Let's stand and sing hallelujah together. Hallelujah, hallelujah, you make all things new, all things new. Hallelujah, hallelujah, you make all things new. Yes, Lord. Uh, Bill just came forward and said, I just feel like God was saying there, some of, the, some of us this morning who are, who are judging ourselves and you're waiting for a feeling, like a feeling to release that, and God's just saying, just let it go. Just let it go. There's some of us this morning, you're just, oh, just waiting for a feeling. He's saying, just let it go. I love you. I'm not condemning you. I know you. I know who you are. I've set you free. I've redeemed you. I've reconciled you. Then I've forgotten your sin. So I don't judge you because I don't know what it is anymore because I've forgotten. He's forgotten. It's the power of forgiveness in Christ. He literally has the ability to forget. And so this morning, I want you to hear from the Lord, no matter what you've done, if you've confessed it as sin, you've turned from it, 
You don't have to live under judgment because he's forgotten your sin. So this morning, some of you just need to release even your own judgment, your condemnation. I've said it before, conviction and condemnation start at the same place. We've sinned. Condemnation then says, and you're awful. Where conviction says, but I can save you. So this morning, as we continue in worship, I want you to, I want you to, Lord, just release this judgment. Just say, God, I release this to you. And I'm not going to be bound. I'm not going to let myself agree with this judgment anymore. So let's just continue to worship. Hallelujah. 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 You make all things new. All things new. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You make all things new. All things new. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, you make all things new, all things new, hallelujah, hallelujah, you make all things new, all things new, hallelujah, hallelujah, you make all Oh, precious is the flow, 
we thank you for the miraculous power that your blood has over sin over death, over our life Lord we thank you that there is no power in hell that can keep us from the power of the blood but so we choose to just put ourselves underneath the flow the crimson flow God the pure flow of your blood trusting that it will erase every condemnation, God, every sin, every bondage that holds us. Where would we be without your blood, Jesus? So I pray that you would help us remember throughout the week, God, when we go to our jobs, when we're at home with our families. When we're at school, Lord, help us to remember the saving power of your blood. But help us to apply it to our hearts as much as we need it. Thank you that there's no limit, there's no cap to how much blood is available for us. So we ask for it daily to wash us every moment of every day, God. Cover us. We receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed. We're going to continue to worship if you're receiving ministry, but you're free to go in the name of Jesus. You bring restoration. Oh, to my soul. You bring restoration. You bring restoration. Oh, you bring restoration to my soul. You bring restoration. Let it flow. Let